If there's one talent I've always had, it's that I'm a great sleeper. Um, this has always been true of me when I was younger, like, you know, college age, I could sleep anywhere. When This was especially useful when I was traveling a lot with friends, could sleep in airports or on a bus or wherever. Um, even now I can fall asleep very quickly. My wife hates me for it. I can fall asleep like 10 seconds after hitting the pillow. And even on youth trips when I was a youth pastor, I'm sure I, I'm, my, my picture is on many camera rolls when I'd fall asleep on the bus and kids would make fun of me. But uh, it's an incredible gift. I, I really appreciate it. And I've realized that for those who can't sleep well, insomnia is a really tough issue, right? If you're not able to sleep, that can really affect your life in a lot of ways. And if you've suffered with that, you know better than I do how hard that can be. Um, but th- this psalm is really, it's, it's an evening psalm. It's a psalm before someone goes to bed is what it kind of seems like. And it's, it's, it's about, in, in one sense, how to sleep well. How to, I'm telling you this, how to sleep like a baby. Now that phrase, that, that term is not really a good term. If you've had a baby, you know that babies don't sleep that well. But, you know, the point is obvious, right? How can we sleep without, by giving our anxieties to God, by giving our burdens to God, how can we sleep well? So we saw a little bit of this in Psalm 3. We're going to see more of it here in Psalm 4. So this is a Psalm of David. We see that at the beginning of the Psalm um, with that, that superscription that we see there. This is a Psalm of David, and it's a lament Psalm. So Psalm 3 was a lament. Psalm 4 is a lament. The, the lament psalms are going to dominate the psalms, especially this first book of psalms. Right, the book of psalms is, is actually divided into five separate books in the Hebrew, and it's easy to miss if you're reading it, but the, the first book goes from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 41. So those psalms are all in the first book, and the laments are all throughout this first section especially. Now, laments are characterized, obviously, by lamentation, by expressions of sadness or anxiety or worry or hardship. That's kind of basic to what they are, but it's, they're not just complaining. They're, they're speaking to God, being honest to him, and they're speaking to the one who can affect change. So lament is not just griping to your friend or to your spouse. Lament here is really speaking to God so that he can act on your behalf. That's the idea. So they have an intent that you're going to the right person with your problem who can make a change. And they remind us of what we should do when we're afflicted, that we should turn to God, we should seek his salvation, we should trust that he has some good purpose, that he loves us, and that he wants to, to use that situation for our best interest. And we should speak to God and tell him what's on our hearts, honestly. That's a good thing for us to do. So the Psalms instruct us. This Psalm today is, is pretty general. It's not as specific as Psalm 3, which speaks to the situations with David and Absalom. This is much more general, so it's an easy one to apply to our lives. So we're going to dive into this, but I want to make a quick note on something I missed the last Psalm that I think is very important, and that's this word Selah. You may have noticed it as you're reading Psalm 3. You may notice it in, in the rest of the Psalms as well. It's a very common word. And in my ESV, it's written sort of, you know, it's, it's aligned on the right side. It's in italics. It's sort of small. What is this word and why is it there? Well, that's a good question. Simple answer is no one really knows. <laughs> there's lots of theories about it, but there's no consensus on this. And I, I don't think it affects too much our reading of the Psalms. But a couple of ideas 
people have put out there. Some say it's a pause for meditation. So when you read Selah, it's to pause, to think on what you just read. Okay, that might be true, might not be true. Some say it's a structural division. So it divides the, the psalm uh, in different sections. Again, th- there's times where that seems to be true and then times where that seems not to be true. So I, I don't know about that. Some say it's an indication to bow down as they're in corporate worship. Selah, you bow down. Or it's just a musical term of some kind. So it might point to a pause in the music or a break in the music or a musical interlude. And that's probably the most likely. It's probably most likely that these these terms that we don't really understand or that are hard to interpret, they're probably musical references that because they're not as important for the, the, the reader in different languages, because we're not singing this per se, um, it's, it's probably lost a lot of its meaning to us. But again, the basic answer is, is we don't know, okay? So hopefully that doesn't upset you too much as you're reading them, but I wanted to make sure you knew that that word is there for a reason. We're just not sure what the reason is, <laughs> okay? So let's, let's jump into the text of the psalm, and we see in the, in the superscript, we see that it's to the choir master with stringed instruments. So that word choir master is just a general re- re- word that means like a supervisor of some kind. And obviously, because it's a musical context, people assume that this is speaking to somebody who's the supervisor of the band or of the choir, hence the term choir master. So again, a lot of these terms that are in the superscripts are going to be hard for us to understand. So we'll just be honest about it when we don't know what it is. Uh, But we see that introduction and we see it's a Psalm of David, and then we get into the body of of the Psalm. So the first thing we see in in the structure here is that God answers prayer. This is in verses one to three, God answers prayer. Verse one, he says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. So David here needs God to hear him. He's in distress and God is the one who has given him relief. So David's looking back to God's past deliverance and taking strength and confidence from that past deliverance. He's, he, he calls God the God of my righteousness. So God is the judge, and God has already declared David to be righteous or in the right. And that belief for him is going to undergird everything he says in this psalm. He understands who God is, that God is righteous, and that God is on his side. In verse 2, we hear the reason for his distress. So there's people that are attacking his reputation. Right? He says, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? So they're attacking his honor. That's the word glory. So it may be his reputation, but it may also be that they're attacking God himself. Remember back in Psalm 3, 3, David calls God, the Lord, his glory. So if God is his glory and here they're attacking his glory, it's possible that they're actually just attacking God, his belief in God. They're saying things like, how could you believe in God? How could you follow God's law? We see this a lot today, right? That, well, God's law is outdated. How could people believe in these repressive, terrible things? It's foolish to believe in God. We see this all the time today. And so David may be receiving those same kinds of attacks. People are undermining, trying to undermine his belief in God. So this is the circumstance of his distress. We also see that these people that are attacking him love lies. They love empty things. He says, you love... How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? So vain words 
speaks to the reality that lies are a fleeting thing. They don't hold up. They don't have any, su- any substance, and so they can't hold up under scrutiny. Proverbs 12, 19 says, Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. So truth has staying power, but lies are vain. They're empty. And so maybe they're slandering David, they're lying against him, and their words are not going to hold up in the long term. He says that they're the ones who seek after lies. So again, this might be a reference to their slander of him, or it might be a reference to their worship of idols, who are empty, they're vain, they're, they lack the truth, they're lies. So these people who attack David have put their hope in things that are empty and false. And then in verse 3, he calls these people who are attacking him to remember God's special relationship with his covenant people. Their efforts to attack him won't work because he's loved by God, right? He's a godly person. He says, know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. So the godly, that term godly means something like the one who practices steadfast love. One who practices steadfast love. So he's, he's saying, I practice the same thing that God gives to me. I live in that way. And so because I'm godly, God is going to respond to and save me in this circumstance. You're not going to be able to have victory over the one that God loves. Now, just a thought here, okay? I think it's easy for us when we read the Bible, we always see ourselves as the main character. So when someone's being attacked unjustly, we automatically put ourselves in that person's shoes and we say, yeah, the people in my life that are against me, they're unfair. Um, God's going to thwart their efforts, whatever it might be. But I think it's I think we have to consider the possibility when we read something like this, the possibility that we are not always the good guy in our own stories. Maybe for you, maybe right now, you're in opposition in some way to a person who's godly. Maybe you're the one who's acting like a fool, right? When I read this, I have to stop and think, not just in what ways am I anxious or am I attacked, but also have I caused anxiety or have I attacked other people? And to be conscious of that and to think on that. So don't, don't just read this in a way that you're always the one who is the hero of the story. Ultimately, God is. And it's easy for us to, to frame ourselves in a way where everything we do is right and we're always the victim. But that's not always true. So, But no, if you're attacking the righteous person, you will not succeed in that. God is, is strong. He's on the side of the godly. He will vindicate their situation. He always does in the long run. So, so we see first that God answers prayer. And then we see, second, that God is trustworthy. And this is verses four and five. God is trustworthy. Look at verse four. Really interesting verse here. He says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. So one question you have to ask here is, is, is the psalmist, is David here speaking to those who oppose him? Is he saying something like, hey, you enemies of mine, go ahead and be angry. Go ahead and be frustrated on your own bed in private, but don't sin in your anger. Is he saying something like, you know, go ahead and get mad, but don't be bad? Is that, is that kind of the idea here to his enemies? Or is this just a general command to people who are in distress to say, it's okay to be angry, but don't act sinfully upon it. It's okay to be frustrated, to have these negative emotions, but don't act in a certain way sinfully upon that emotion. And I, I think 
I would kind of lean toward the second option. And he's speaking just more generally, saying it's okay to be angry, but it's not okay to sin in your anger. In fact, we have a, a verse in the New Testament that really reflects a lot of Psalm 4. It's Ephesians chapter 4. And you may, you may, if you're really familiar with Scripture, you may have thought of this verse immediately as I was reading this. Ephesians 4, 25 to 27 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So this is interesting because this seems to connect to the psalm, right? He's saying, be truthful, don't lie, which we've seen that theme earlier, right? These people that seek after lies. So he's attacking that. He's saying, be angry and don't sin. It's really a direct quote from Psalm 4. And don't let the sun go down on your anger. He Don't end your day in anger it is kind of the end of this passage, which we'll see in a, in a second. So this seems to be very related to Psalm 4. And it's a general command to the church of this is how you should operate. This is how you should live. It's okay to be angry. It's not a sin to be angry per se. Jesus himself was angry, but he always acted in righteousness. And so that should be the example for us as well. So he says, be angry, ponder in your own hearts on your beds, right? A bed is a place of meditation and planning, especially for the wicked. We see this theme a lot in scripture of that they're, they're staying up late. They're thinking, they're plotting how to hurt the righteous. So, so he's saying, go ahead and do that, right? <laughs> you can try to oppose the righteous, but you're not going to succeed. Verse 5, he says, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. So offer righteous sacrifices, which means do the right thing with the right heart. It's not just an outward action. It's the, it's the heart. And we can see that when he says, put your trust in the Lord. It's about what you believe deep down inside. Trust in God. Um, again, it always comes back to a right posture of the heart. So, so we see this, this section that God is trustworthy, that we can put our trust in him uh, even when we're angry. And then we see in this last section, God is better. That's verses 6 to 8. God is better. In verse 6, this voice of doubt comes up again. Right? It says, who will show us some good? So it's challenging the fact that God can provide good for his people. It's seeking to discourage David. And that, that voice of doubt in your life, whether that's internal or someone outside of you who's speaking into your, to your faith in God, that voice can be discouraging and it can be really damaging and dangerous. That voice of doubt can, can really um, derail your life. And so the belief here, I think, is that God isn't good because God hasn't shown good in this exact circumstance. The belief is very common that if God doesn't fix my circumstance right now, it must be that God doesn't love me. God's not really good. He's not really powerful. That seems to be the accusation. And so the response of David <clears throat> is to remember the, the Aaronic blessing, Numbers 6, 25 to 26, right? That God would lift up his countenance upon us, that he would make his face to shine upon us. And so he says the same sort of thing. He says, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. He's asking for God to save and to provide because he trusts that God is better than whatever the world has to offer. And verse 7 is a great, it's a great memory verse. I love this verse so much. He says, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. So God, he's saying, God gives more joy than any earthly prosperity. That, that when things are going well, 
or when they're going badly, we can trust that God is better than our circumstances. So our hope is not just that God will fix our circumstances so that we can have prosperity. It's that God himself is better. So to have God is better than to have your circumstances fixed. God is better than anything the world has to offer. He, he's better than the greatest prosperity and the greatest possessions and the greatest parties or people to be around. <clears throat> None of it compares to the joy of knowing the sovereign and loving God of the universe. And so he comes back again to that foundation that God is better. <clears throat> and then in verse 8, he ends with this. He says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So here he's going to bed, right? He lands in a different place than where he started. And he's saying, if God is in control, if God is working salvation, then God is better than anything else. So he can sleep peacefully because God is caring for him and watching out for him. So there are some days where we need to end with a psalm like this. That says, whatever the enemy, God is stronger. Whatever the anxiety, excuse me, whatever the anxiety, God is more secure. Whatever the prosperity, God is better. And whatever it is you trust in, God is more trustworthy. We, we need to end our day thinking about these things and trusting in God as we go to sleep and then sleep like a baby. So a few practical thoughts, right? <clears throat> if you're being slandered, um, remember whose opinion really matters, okay? It's, it's God. It's not the person who's accusing you of something. Now, I, th- I think if you're being slandered, you should take time to, to really consider if there's truth in what's being said of you. Often our, our enemies can, can be a great asset to us if we allow them to correct us in meaningful ways and in truthful ways. I'm not going to take everything someone says about me as true just because they say it, but I always want to consider it, right? So you can benefit often from the attacks of others, but rest in the truth that judgment ultimately belongs to God. His opinion matters the most. Another thing we can take from this is just because you're suffering right now doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It's easy to determine uh, our theology based upon our circumstances rather than on the truth of Scripture. Just because you're going through a hard thing right now doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. We see this all throughout Scripture, that God allows his people to go through tough times for a refining and and salvific reason. And so trust in God that that um, even though you're suffering, that he still loves you if you've trusted in his son, Jesus. And then I, I would also say, and this is very simple for the Psalms, but don't take for granted that God hears you. The Psalm starts with this declaration that God is going to hear David and act on his behalf. And we know that God always hears his people. If you're in Jesus, if you've been saved by Jesus, then when you cry to God, God hears you. And he's going to act on your behalf at the right time to save you because you're his child. So don't take that for granted. Make sure you pray to God like he hears you. And of course, the ultimate display that God hears us is that he has provided for us everything we need in Jesus Christ. That's the proof God hears us. He's saved us through the sacrifice of the most precious thing he has to cover our greatest problem and to to fix that for eternity. And so we can trust in him. So before you ever cried out, that means for salvation, whatever day it was that you came to saving faith in Jesus, God provided the answer for you a long time ago. And that's how God works. He's always providing the answer long before we even know we have a problem. So trust in him in your circumstances as well. If God's given you his son, he's going to work everything out in the long run. It may not be in this life, 
but it will definitely be in the life to come. Every one of those burdens that we have will be resolved by the gracious gift of God. So look to him.